created for the MAPE community by the MAPE community. Left Unsaid is a podcast where we speak our truth, celebrate our talents, tell our stories, and explore what matters most to us. It's time to leave everything on the table and make sure nothing is left unsaid. So what's going to be different about this is it's live this so we're gonna have a conversation with Bennett and Nate and then time allowing we're going to open it up for some questions live from the audience so take your notes get those tweets going have the questions ready uh you'll be able to throw them in the chat we have to get the team in the background we'll be checking the chat to make sure that we get that um but also you know be able to unmute yourself um, and ask in person right for that. So let's jump right in. Because this is live, we're going to do an official intro of our guest today. Well, official because I've known Bennett D. Bennett for quite a, quite a few years now. So we're going to keep it to the, the scripted intro, not kind of how I know Bennett intro. Okay. So Bennett D. Bennett aligns stars and builds homes for stories as principal aerialist a storytelling consultancy. As the co-founder of 600 and Rising, an advocacy group for the the advancement of black talent in advertising and public relations, a hybrid creative director content strategist, Bennett's 10 plus years. You've been in the industry 10 plus years? How long have I known you? I feel like I've known you for at least 20. Bro. (laughs) Okay, let me me get back, let me get back. 10 plus years in marketing world, including stints at Interbrand, BBDO New York, and The Drum. Slicing his muscles across different forms of storytelling, he's uh, at those places. His current and most recent work have paired him with Popeyes, Allyship in Action, and Amazon Prime Video. A proud, added that in, a proud 2013 MAPE alum, Bennett has been honored as an Adweek Young Influential and one of the top 100 people who make advertising great uh, by the four agents, right? Yes. All right. Bennett, welcome. It's always great to see you. Great to see you too. Hello, May 2021. Congratulations. Welcome to Face of Talent Week. Oh, Bennett's been part of many Face of Talent Weeks, so knows it well. And also joining Bennett and joining us today is Nate Nichols. Nate started his career in 2012 at the agency inside Hart Hanks on the social strategy team, managing the Hyundai's Veloster's launch campaign, or as he describes it, selling cars on Twitter. Now, how, how did that go? I want to hear more about that. So cars on Twitter. It was wild. It's, I'm sure. <laughs> Today, Nate is a creative director, founder of the Palette Group, specializing in branded content, commercial production, and experiential event production for brands domestically and internationally. The agency and roster have worked with Fortune 500 and 100 brands, including Foot Locker, BMW, Hyundai, GM, Chevrolet, Google, and more. You know, some brands you might have heard of, small stuff going on there. The team also works with startups such as Saks Underwear, Cora Women, and 10% Happier. That is a great app. In 2020, he co-founded Allyship in Action, a virtual summit and series rooted in reversing systematic racism and discrimination in advertising. Man, 
how do y'all have the time to do all this stuff? No clue. I, I don't no like, like y'all don't sleep, nothing like but no, no sleep. No sleep. sleep. Great. Okay. Well, I thank you both for joining us today to have this conversation about curating while creating. It's gonna be a great conversation, but this is also a live version of the podcast. So before we jump in, we have to do the red, yellow, green check-in. So I know everybody listening today has listened to all the podcasts, so you know what that is, but I'm going to describe it just to give everyone a refresher. Red, yellow, green check-in. It's how you're coming in right now. Not yesterday, not where you hope to be, but right now in this moment. The colors don't necessarily represent good or bad. They just represent where you are, feeling, emotion. That's it. So red isn't I'm feeling bad. Red is just I'm distracted. I got so much going on. I can't, I'm here physically in the grid, but I am not really here mentally. Don't worry about it. Green, I'm 100% ready to go. I'm bringing it all 150%. Yellow somewhere in between. And listen, if you don't like the colors, make some shapes up. Just how you coming in. Throw some mm-hmm. color, mixed color shapes, designs, whatever. Y'all created. So <laughs> how are y'all coming in? Let's start with... Nate. I'm coming in green, feeling very balanced and aligned. Um, it's a lot going on, but I feel yeah, it just all feels aligned. I love it. I love I love that word aligned. Right. It's so important. Bennett, how are you coming in today? I am coming in, I'm coming in yellow green. Um it's yeah, I don't know. Um it's been good summer for me you know um i'm living in a new neighborhood i'm starting a new chapter in my life but also there's still just so much going on and i can't you know ever lose sight of the fact that like all right cool you know there's the adulting stuff and then there's the work stuff and uh, you know just overall world stuff like i'm sure it's not lost on any of any of you make fellows that that are here you know that it's just a lot so uh yeah that's a that's a couple what i got for i'm coming in awesome thank you thank you both i'm coming in like a chartreuse right it's kind of that mix of yellow and yellow and green um again similar there's i'm just really excited to be here and also there's a lot going on personally professionally worldly so that's where I'm coming in. And yes, Kennedy, thank you. I was going to say it after, but Mapers, whoever's on, whoever's listening, I'd love to know how y'all are coming in. Throw it in the chat. You know, let's see how we all are today. All right. See a lot of greens, a lot of yellow greens, yellows. It's all good. Thank you all for being here, no matter what, how you're coming in. All right. Before we jump into this, I want to, I want to get to know each one of you a little bit more. I want to hear your story, how you got to where you are. We read your bios and that's great, but I want to know what happens in between those bio lines. All right, so Bennett, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up here in this moment. Uh, here in this moment. Well, yeah, I guess it started with uh, with a high school friend checking out my Tumblr and thinking, oh, you're a great writer. You should consider advertising. Uh, and I had no idea. This what, is, what is Tumblr? Tumblr? Like, it's like if you 
Yeah, it's like a microblogging platform. I'm everybody who's saying I have a podcast voice. Thank you. I'm going to turn the chat off now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like when I was everybody else's age, like Zanga and LiveJournal were a thing, but like, yeah, Tumblr is more or less a microblogging platform that you could basically do like long text photos, audio, video, GIFs, you know, whatever, just to like make your your presence felt like RIP to uh, whatever Tumblr used to be. I'm sure it's in a uh, different hands now, but yeah, uh, I was just a guy from Rockaway who was just figuring my college and life journey out. And on a whim, a friend told me, Hey, I think you'd be good for this industry. And I kind of made a leap. I didn't know what else to do. And I knew I wasn't going to go back to being a physics major. So uh, went to a networking event called Where All the Black People. Uh, found out about the school I ended up graduating from, the City College of New York. Found out about programs like MAPE, MPMS, uh, Ad Color, like all these different organizations, like the One Club as well. And figured, you know what, like there's just so much opportunity. I never knew this would be a thing. So I just jumped straight in. Uh, did my MAPE internship in 2013, fun experience. That's very much how I met Carl and stayed in touch with uh, not just like who was up next in the industry, but very clearly a lot of the issues that had been permeating through the industry on a DEI front. Um, I, you know, it's kind of an honor to say like, so, so much of my career has been shaped more by DEI people than actual creative directors, like my concentration as a maper was a as a copywriter. My first job in the industry was at Interbrand doing like verbal identity. So like I wanted to go in for words and I wanted to go in to be a creative. That did not work out well when I got my first job, my first real agency job at BBDO. You know, it was, I entered in as quite frankly, a diversity hire. It was a program that brought in people from marginalized communities, hoping to give us the same sort of opportunities that, you know, they'd already allowed our peers who were, who are white and um, or just like non-black. And the ceiling was pretty low there. Like there were just not enough opportunities for me. So most of how I had made my career to that point was just, sticking around with the people who were doing doing the hard work to make sure that like people like me didn't have to suffer so sticking around with um with the heads of dei at my agency but also sticking around the aaf and the one club and just volunteering wherever i could you know even like even if i wasn't going to get on a project that was paying me at my agency i just wanted to have an impact eventually i did eventually like I stepped away from agency life because where I was heading with my life and my values and, you know, where I was work-wise wasn't lining up. So I ended up becoming a journalist, went to the drum, covered the future of the industry, you know, all the while knowing that I never meant to like jump to journalism. I cared about branded content. Like I care about storytelling. Those were always things I cared about, but I wasn't going to get that in an agency and uh, the places I wanted to work 
at would probably look at me and say, well, you don't look like you have enough experience. So I took what was there. There was an opportunity that a very good friend of mine named Doug Zanger uh, gave me the opportunity to, to cover the industry, see where the future was heading. Uh, I loved it for a year, but I also was extremely burnt out. And like, I knew I was burnt out for like years. I just like extend myself to a point trying to like fulfill myself, fulfill whatever idea I, you know, idea either I had for myself or what others wanted for me. And I just, I had to leave. So like I left my job to like, just try to get better and try to fall in love with writing again, because I got to a point where I literally could not write. And I was putting out four to six stories a day covering stuff from Facebook to the Me Too scandals in the ad industry to just the general future of TV, streaming, marketing stuff. It was it was a lot. And as somebody who just went from like working in the space to like covering the space, it was an overload. And obviously just stuff that I realized like was way too taxing for me to, to keep up. So I took some time did the freelancing bit and in the midst of freelancing, you know, got connected with, with Nate and got connected with other people uh, during the pandemic. And that was kind of courage enough for me to launch my own consultancy, which is my day job. Now I build homes for stories. Like it's not a joke. I, I love stories, whether that's music or movies. And I feel that, advertising is going certain places or at least consumers and people are going certain places with how they consume stories and the traditional way of the industry isn't working out that like, or it's just like too slow as if it's bad enough that they can't have us in these rooms to help shape what their future should be like. You know, they're just, it's just hard for them to innovate because they're built a certain way. So aerialist was, a thing that I started like literally a year ago and it's been fun um, and can definitely talk about it later. But yeah, around that time, the George Floyd incident happened and Nate reached out to me about allyship in action. I was also reached out to by another gentleman who ended up becoming my co-founder for 600 and rising. And it's been, you know, that's honestly been my last year, you know, like, building up my experiences, like kind of my own little studio owner and consultancy owner, but also helping lead a charge for, you know, what the, what the real future of this industry should be. And like, it's not data and it's not, you know, it can be all those things, but like, it's really about people. And this industry is done so wrong by us as black men uh, y'all is, uh, people of color, people who represent marginalized communities, people who represent like all different walks of life, abilities, uh, you know, points on the spectrum of, of gender and, and sex. And, you know, I know you want the world to like, keep up with you. You know, you've probably had to go through a lot just to get to this point. And, you know, it's, you know, I'm thankful for people like Nate obviously people like Carl who has known me from just about day one, you know, that like there is kind of a North star for, you know, for all of us. And, 
you know, it's nice to have a, I guess, a, a bit of a larger role in that, in like helping make that happen. Yeah, well, it sounds like you definitely had your moments of like just finding that alignment, you know, of where the love for writing and kind of the work that was really driving you both from the DEI side and the brand side come together and able to create your own. Yes, we will, we will talk about all that. Uh, you mentioned Nate a few times. Nate, why don't you jump in and tell us a little bit about your story, your your path here. Word. Well, I think I feel like I came in out of left field because I did not have any traditional route or experience in advertising before I got here. I was an art school kid. I went to Art Institute of Philadelphia, um, studied graphic design, and that was like my escape from like the trauma ridden place I grew up in, in Connecticut. And, you know, where I grew up in Connecticut, there was Crips, Bloods, Latin Kings, you know, everybody was there and you either had to join, protect yourself or just figure out how to navigate. And so that was a chaotic world that I just couldn't exist in, I couldn't thrive in. And so I just did about down to Philadelphia and I just entrepreneured my ass off all the way through college. I was at like young knucklehead on Twitter, scaling my, my, my persona in the city and whenever someone uh, had needed social media, they was like, go talk to the young, the young Nate Nichols. He's the one on Twitter doing the tweeting. And so I just built a crazy body of work around social media while I was in art school. Um, I literally prioritized my freelance career over my, my college degree. It was actually nuts. Um, literally would skip school to go you know, pick up new business. Don't, don't recommend that. Um, but it was, it was what I had to do because I didn't have any support from my family. My mother, you know, probably still makes anywhere between 12 and 20 grand a year. Um, I don't know my dad, never met him a day in my life. And so it was really like, if it's going to be, it's up to me. And so running and ripping through Philly, um, I built this huge body of work. I wound up graduating, um, a year late. <laughs> um, but while I was graduating, um, at the time, for me, I was very happy. It was very like aligned and like energized to get up and just kick ass doing social and being a creative every day. But ironically enough, I was living on a mattress in a warehouse. And so here I am, you know, waking up to go like tweet for Hyundai, you know, fly off to Vegas, fly off to like um, LA to go like be at an activation where Skrillex's DJ and Action Bronson just like gave his all on stage and Jeff Staples is about to do a TED talk and I'm live tweeting, but at the end of the day, I still go home to a mattress with cockroaches running by. And, and, and I had no one to like talk to about this lived experience that I had. And it really was, it wasn't, it wasn't anything like, um, it wasn't anything that was discouraging. Like it was just my, my existence in, but it what was wrong about that scenario, which really like motivated us in 2020 to launch Allyship in Action was that no one cared to ask how I was living. No one cared about my lived experience in those moments. They just cared that the tweets went out. They just cared that I was selling cars on Twitter. You know, they just found this 23-year-old rock star who knew how to tweet and had a tone and figured out how to, like, convince people, a kid to, like, get his moms to take him to the car dealership on his birthday to test drive a car. And then a week later, they bought it. That's what they were excited about. And that's what was really wild to me was that, like, here I am giving my all, but no one really cares about my livelihood. No one cares that like, this isn't enough money for me to pay my student loans. This isn't enough money for me to get out of the lived experience that I have living on a mattress. And again, I didn't care. I moved on from there and I actually joined a startup agency, a digital marketing agency. I scaled it to 10 employees, scaled the new business to about a quarter million dollars the first year. 
And then the second year, I wound up looking at myself in the mirror and being like, damn, bro, you actually live in the warehouse. You know, you can't continue to live your life like this. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, all right, I can't, I can't keep going to the gym to take a shower. So I decided to finesse my way out of the situation I was in. Um, wound up leaving uh, the agency, but on my way out, the owner said, hey, you built this thing. We gave it all together. Do you want to buy it? So I wound up acquiring the agency when I was 25 and founding Pallet Group from there. And then from there, um, moving to a studio down to Philadelphia, north side of Philly, um, Kensington area, and just scaled our team again. You know, we just became like a, a you know, a rock solid creative agency in the north side of Philly, um, doing social media for startups and activations for Chevrolet. And um, we sort of built a name and a presence for ourselves where we were centering and humanizing the people that we worked with and the community that were showing up in our work. So all the influencers, all the photography that we were working on, um, you know, centering a human experience. And from there, that really like was the foundation for what Palo Group is now. And um, I had started dating my life partner um, along that uh, along that time of like 2016, 17-ish. Um, and around 18, we decided to move to New York together and evolve Palo Group to another experience. And since then, we've worked with brands like Foot Locker, Netflix, uh, working on a project with the Gates and um, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation currently. Um, and she's my life partner is an amazing executive producer, you know, doing work for YouTube, Google, Under Armour, all that jazz. And so, you know, a lot of the folks you see in the C-suite go from like agency to agency, go from MAPE or internship to agency, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's all from the muscle in on our end. And we just have been figuring out the entire way. And with that being said, allyship and action was birthed from this space of there isn't enough access points for us. And there isn't enough, you know, people looking out for folks who don't have the traditional trajectory um providing access and so it's an injustice the fact that like i have to live on a mattress while building my company you know or i don't have access to the i didn't even know four a's was a thing i had no idea no idea and i was probably the most advertising advertising kid in my entire art school no clue and so with that said you know you all are all fortunate and I'm, I'm extremely happy to be here to show you and share with you that like this shit ain't easy but y'all have an amazing community, something I had to fight tooth and nail for since I was born. Um, and please, you know, Carl, he has a great shiny head. <laughs> He's here for you all. Take advantage of that great shiny head and the brain in there um, and everyone else around you. So with that, that's my story. Hey, well, um, I feel like we need a moment after both of you shared each of your stories and what you went through to get while different still challenging and hard um so thank you both and um yeah i mean, I mean in a moment we, we just jump into the next thing um come look at the chat and the chat's is like gracious for both of you just being open and honest with those stories and um someone almost shed a tear that's that's the kind of impact story. Me too, Me too though. You too? You too? Yeah. You've probably heard that story before. Every okay. time it gets you. Every time. Um but what you know, I'm torn. I'm torn because there's so much that I want to jump into. And I know we don't have all week to discuss all of that. 
because uh, you know, face Italian, they keep they keep the maple busy all week. Um, so I don't know. Part of me wants to get into you know the allyship in action because that's that we both come there, but part of me also wants to talk about your individual entrepreneurial journeys as well. So I think this is a live podcast. I'm gonna ask the audience, just start throwing in the chat. Oh wait, can we actually do like a poll? Can we do that stuff? Do we have that yeah, you should be able to do a poll. I think um, this is this is what happens when you do live stuff and you try to do things on the fly. <laughs> Should plan this better. The, the make teams would be like, Carl, what are you doing? You have this buttoned up, ready to go, and you're just like, you know, doing random stuff. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to do it. We didn't plan this. Let's put the difference. So, let's you just, yo, everyone, everyone who's on the live, just throw in the chat. Do you want to go entrepreneurial yeah. route? Or do you want to do allyship and action? They're both entrepreneurial, but individual entrepreneurial, allyship and action. We're going to get to both. But I just want to see what we want to go to yeah. first. Oh, it looks like entrepreneurship is. Everybody wants to secure the bag. Seriously. I mean, that's what it's about. Okay. All right. I get it. I get it. Entrepreneurship. I got it. I got it. Let's make oh, we're all people of color. We get it. We don't. Okay. <laughs> we don't okay. need to talk about being marginalized more. <laughs> all right. One allyship. One allyship. Okay. We'll get to it. We're going to start with entrepreneurship. Bro, cool. You excited. You excited, Sorrell. All right. Um, so let's see. Entrepreneurship. Each of you have started something within the last year or so, right? Two, three years. I know because then you were working there before and acquired it and have been moving it around. Um, talk what we talk a little bit about. Get a little bit deeper into like what really made you want to do that on your own. You know, not on your own, but like be the the curator of your own kind of story there. Um, yeah, you want to talk a little bit? Because I think yours is interesting, right? Because you were working at the company, you acquired it. Like, talk to me about like what it was like being like, I'm gonna acquire this company. And make it my own. What what was that like? Oof. Um, well, I'll answer the first question, dovetail into the second one. Uh, the pure motivation is I'm Jamaican. I'm so damn Jamaican. You know what? You know my family came here in the '70s, and they came here to rock hard. They ain't, they came here to put roof overhead and food upon the table, and I got that real quick. And I got that if. I want food on my on my plate. I had to go get it. I had to go secure the bag. And my mother had postpartum when I was born, put her in the psych ward. And she just been recovering ever since I was born, literally, just literally recovering from a mental breakdown since I was born. And she just lives such a self-expressed life. She literally gives none of the fucks. And I love that level of freedom. And that freedom is ingrained into my DNA. Right. My half my Haitian father that I don't know, even in like that cultural, you know, presence of uh, Haiti revolting and being the first free slave nation, you know, that is in me. Right. And I think there's this 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 thing in my DNA that says, look, dog, no, could put you in a cubicle. Those fluorescent lights, they're not for you. Like it just never was meant to be in my blood to just like work for anyone else. But on top of that, I saw the value of community and really enabling um, and lifting up community. So like that matriarch of like my grandmother being the platform for the rest of my family to like get to America and enable everyone else to like access different levels of economy and the way that they felt um, uh, the desire to. And so just taking little lessons from them and 
and really being like, what is really why we got here for? And it was really to, you know, get and achieve the lifestyle we really wanted. And so at a very young age, I realized maybe in my teens that like I just I wanted freedom. I didn't want to lose control of decisions I can make with my life from where I live, how I live. You know, my life partner's German. She's literally from Germany. So like we're designing our lives between the two continents right now. And like for me, it's like, duh, like as a kid, I'd be on my knees praying to get out of my home and out of my like city, right? Praying and like, like this was a half to be. So now it's like, of course you're like married to the German woman and you're figuring out how to live your life between two countries. Like, of course, because that's what you always truly been fighting for. And so um, from that like motivation, there's this other aspect of systems. I realized that the game of entrepreneurship is about systems. It's not just about like, go, 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 hustle. Like I never was like up to the idea of like hustle hard 24 seven. I did that and I burnt out. Like I wasn't healthy. I like lived in a warehouse. Like it wasn't smart. And I realized that a very, like in my twenties, like there's a smart way to do this through mentorship and different folks that I had um, leaned on that like had values aligned with me and had insights around structures and systems that scale. And so I just became fascinated with the idea of like systems and structure. And so for me, entrepreneurship is truly like equal parts passion and creativity and like really like figuring out how to stay energized and, 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 and creatively inspired. So you can like, I can jump on a call with, and talking to a gentleman earlier, who owns a, he runs a smoked fish company out of Brooklyn. And it's probably like a $50 million operation globally. And he's like, I don't know how to talk about it. And I'm like, it's a family owned business, take tradition and passion. And let's tell the stories of all the people that work there about their relationship with fish and passion in the traditions of their cultures. And they're like, wow. I'm like, you white dudes, man. <laughs> you mediocre. <laughs> so I say that to say, there's this like nice, playful area that you can exist as an entrepreneur in advertising. We could take your passion for, you know, creativity, for culture, and bridge it between if you do like operations systems and that may not be for you specifically but i'm fascinated by that and build systems that can scale and when we thought of allyship in action it wasn't just like let's just do one thing it's no 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 we gotta get as many bags as we can because nothing is promised in this life and so how do we build a system and a platform that continues to 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 um inform and platform and center marginalized communities by enabling people to figure out what their responsibility is as an ally. And so how do we design a system and infrastructure around that? And so very fascinated in systems, very, you know, very, very, very passionate about culture and creativity and just energizing people around different concepts and ways of thinking. So those are the like two sides of, um, you know, the entrepreneurship, creativity, and like how we got to allyship in action. And if you remember the first part of, the, of, of my monologue, really about the DNA, like who am I? And like really aligning in that, not being afraid of that. Like we all have different abilities, different cultures and different backgrounds that are very special that we can honor and really exist and live in that no one outside of this room can. Literally no one. This is why people call us and have us in meetings and rooms because no one has the lived experience and the level of understanding of the nuance and our cultures and our lived experience in the context of how we live 
And so that's what makes us all special and the power that we have on our potential entrepreneurship journey or the lane that we exist in as an advertising today. I am I on mute? I'm glad I'm not. You're not. You're not mute. Yeah. Man, like I got to a point where, because I never expected to be like doing my own thing until probably like five years from now. I just got to a point where I couldn't trust anybody else with my own vision, like. I was, again, like I started college as a physics major. My parents are also like, was raised by a single Jamaican dad who married a Jamaican woman. And like, you know, there was a lot of pressure for me to like get into a career path that was stable. Like if you're not a lawyer, a doctor, an engineer, any, any of those three things, like, you're not going to make money. You're not going to like get a life where you're not like drowning in bills. And my parents were kind of like, I mean, they worked hard, but they were also like struggling and that sucked. And when I went to college, like I saw that struggle and, you know, as much as I wanted to write like Harry Potter meets the Avengers, right? Like those were the ideas in my head. As much as I wanted to be the next Neo, it was like, uh, I got to like put this stuff aside because I got to pay for school. I got to do all this stuff. I got to like think about my family and, and all that. Um, and it was funny because I fell in love with the industry, with ad, with the ad industry for not even like probably six months. <laughs> and then the moment where I felt like, okay, cool. Like, I'm like a maper. I'm going to do all this stuff. Like Superstorm Sandy happened. And like that messed up probably like five years out of my life. Like we weren't like I was out of my neighborhood. I was living in a hotel room for like my MAPE experience. I was in a hotel room. Like I was just dealing with like this very unique experience as a native New Yorker in my own city where I not only found an industry that I loved, but like, I also realized that like there were bigger issues that like I could use this role to do in my very personal case, you know? Yeah. Like my hometown was washed over, like covered by like ocean water, you know, like it took five, five years for my family to get home, you know, around that time you're hearing people talk about, Flint not having water. There's all these issues about like racial justice. And I think it was like going into a lot of these situations, whether it was like as a young professional entering my agency experience, being in a lot of DEI rooms and, you know, there's the urgency of, Oh, my family's home needs to be fixed. Like I need to get my life back together, but like other people are suffering why aren't we thinking about these people? Why aren't we thinking about the fact that like, you know, we as advertising people can, can like help these individuals. And after a while, it, like shit got shallow and people weren't thinking about their role in this industry, the responsibility that we have to individuals, the way that I, that I did. 
And that's part of the reason why I like left and figured, you know what, like I have these ideas, like passion wise, like I love stories. Like I want to do that more, but you know, y'all aren't caring enough and I get to do journalism and like, I want to cover DEI a little bit more. Like, yes, I'm covering all this stuff, but like, I don't have time. There are people like I'm working for a company that's based in the UK who don't understand American culture, much less like American advertise the American advertising industry, which is just like, so bereft with just like issues here, issues there. And like, just like stuck in their own asses. And like, it was an interesting turning point for me when, when I became a journalist, because when I was at eight, when I was in an agency, like, I felt like I knew these concepts. I knew what I was talking about, but never had the opportunity to like, even like have a conversation with an executive. And then when I was, then when I was at the drum, like all my conversations were with executives and I didn't feel out of place. Like, and once they realized, oh, I had agency experience, it was like, oh, well, wait, like I belong in the same room as y'all. Like, this isn't weird. Like, this isn't weird to me. Like my ideas and how we're talking about where streaming can go, where, you know, what the future of the small, of the advertising agency looks like, you know, talking about things like remote work and stuff before the pandemic hit. It's like, damn, like if I have these ideas and this publication isn't giving me an opportunity to do my thing. Agency life isn't allowing me to do my thing. Like, you know, what else can I do? You know, I'm already tired. I already like am at my wits end trying to like build a life where I can like move out, build a life, not have to have my world defined by trauma. Like it just felt like I was just surviving all this stuff. And like, it took a pan, it, like, it's sad that, like, it took a pandemic for me to, like, really say, you know what, like, I should just bet on myself. Because even when I left the drum, like, and I took time for myself to, like, rest and heal up, I also was at the mercy as a freelancer of just, like, whoever actually had, like, availabilities for somebody who's, like, falling, like, trying to fall back in love, with, like, with writing as, as like, just something that I do not just as a passion, but as like my bread and butter. So like, it was like in, I know this feels like a very long winded journey to like what made me an entrepreneur, but it was like having these crazy ideals and thinking that like, Oh, if I just like work within the system that like, maybe I might get results. People might, you know, not even like, like me enough, but like, I'll pay my dues with like the work that I put out there. And hopefully people will see that enough and allow me the opportunity to like have those bigger projects. But it honestly, like it took me having to like sit with myself and say, you know what, like, fuck it. I'm just going to jump in. Like I care about what stories we need to be putting out there. I care about these larger issues and okay, what purpose agencies are out there? None that I care about. Like what branded content agencies are there that aren't New York Times or Vox? Because journalists are losing their jobs left and right. And that's also a major issue. Like we think about Miss, like, I'm like, I just always cared about the bigger issues and nobody was going to fund me to take care of the larger (laughs) issues. So I had to find a way to fund myself. 
And the only way to do that was like, all right, I'm going to consult. I'm going to like step to a Nate, like legit. My first conversation with, with Nate was about doing work for him for at like for what he was doing for the freelance community because it was like oh shit somebody cares about this stuff like i care about this stuff like let's do some some don't shit and that's legit like how like he reached back out to me for allyship in action which is freaking crazy to me because i'm like oh shit people believe in like the fact that i have ideas that like i'm pretty sure i can execute on this stuff and i'm also a pleasure to work with and it was just like repeating that process like time and time again over the last year. <laughs> and yeah, it's it's been dope. My like first project this year, Coming to America, I was the lead creative director for that. I led social across like a very, very global launch for, you know, if not for a pandemic, would have been a legit, is a legit blockbuster. We were number one in the box office for the last like for our first three weeks out, like I never could have seen that when I was at BBDO. I probably couldn't have seen that like six months before when, when I'd launched A-List, Aerialist, you know, it's just like, wow, you know, like, yeah, I had to put in the paces, but it also was just like a reaffirmation for like, the weird little kid inside that like really wanted to do shit like on his own and like, just try to do some shit, you know, like it took a lot of faith in like people trusting me to get here, you know, probably more than I had in myself that I could survive, but I think I'm doing okay. And I think, you know, a lot of you, a lot of you who have like made like entrepreneurship, the talk, the topic of it probably are like, wondering damn like when when do i start and you know we've had the blessing of seeing like young entrepreneurs like entrepreneurs younger than us like trying to go out and get it and it's definitely attainable for y'all if if that's the life you want but yeah it's not easy and you know go at your own pace to to get to that point if that's something you, you really do want so many, so many good points. I hope all of y'all were taking notes. Nate, did you want to, you want to add to that? I saw you come off mute. No, I think the pacing is important, you know, like not relating your experience to someone else's because it's easy to like compare your, your journey to other people's journeys where none of, nobody's journey is the right journey. Nobody's track is the right track. You know, just your track is your track and it will afford you specific levels of access and you just move in, in the way you feel like you can. And I say feel with emphasis because sometimes we feel that green and ready to go. Sometimes we feel that red and we need to like just sit with it. Such a good point. There is the, the only right path is the path that you're on at the time. Um, I hope y'all were taking notes because that was full of gems. Something that I took away, Nate, I really liked your kind of focus on systems right? Not just hustle hard, because I think sometimes we hustle hard and we actually fight those systems and it works against, you know, that mentality of where I want to be. So just understanding what those systems are and really working, you know, with them. So you can work against them if that's what you want to do, but really just understand it so you could do more. I, mean, I figure that's how y'all have so much time. You work with the systems that are in place and you can do so much in that. Um, I love the point about the lived, the lived experiences, whether it's ours or our ancestors, right? Because those stay with us over time through DNA that help us and make become who we are. 
Um, and then Bennett, the whole like, you couldn't trust, couldn't trust anyone with your vision, right? Mm-hmm. So you're going to put your dreams aside for, you know, maybe responsibilities, things you have to do, or you're going to, as you said, just jump in, bet on yourself and just go for it. Um, the, what the one thing I had, because you also mentioned it here, right? The idea of like community, because a lot of times you hear people say like, if you have an idea, don't share it. Someone might take it. Someone might tell you it's bad. I want to know what you, your experience is with about utilizing the communities around you to help build these up uh, as you were going. Bennett, you're shaking your head really enthusiastically. Could, like, could not have done shit without community. Like, you know, I, I really, really get emotional about like even talking to Mapers because like when I personally needed that, like I was going through hell. Like I just felt lost in my own city and there were like a hundred people who just came from like all over the country and did not know New York for shit. And I became their tour guide and their homie. And, you know, we still, we still talk, but like legitimately I couldn't afford to go to portfolio school. I couldn't afford to like, you know, and it wasn't even just like, I couldn't afford to do it. It was just like, I knew finances were at a point for me that like, I didn't even want to take a chance and like incur loans and stuff like that. And it was just like, it was so paralyzing for me. So like I had to like legit reach out to everybody. If my internship experience wasn't going well, I legit hit up Carl and said, hi, this is what, like, this isn't what I'm expecting, but I want to do stuff. Like I want to get a job, like at the end of whatever road I'm taking, like, I want to get a job. How can I get it done? And like, it's so tough. Cause like, I, I think about like you guys doing this whole virtual shit, like when, when it was like a more in real life experience of breaking into the industry everybody would say, oh, you got to do the networking stuff. You got to go to this event, that event. And like, I was legitimately that person. And I got stories for days. If y'all ever want to chop it up in New York. I'm I'm tired right now. Just remembering how much you were out and about at that time, at those times. And like, and people got the wrong idea about that. Cause like, I'm legit just like, I'm just trying to be like the best creative I can be. And it wasn't, it wasn't about like filling up a Rolodex or anything. And I think when you're young, everybody emphasizes like your network is your net worth and, and that's cute. And like, there's validity to that, (laughs) but also when you are a person of color and you already feel the pressure of like having to either be that person to break like generations of, of trauma or, like just making it on your own after, after college, it's like, you want to do everything you can. Like if you're in creative, if you're in strategy, I completely get it. Like it is much harder to get a job in either of those disciplines. So like the work hat, like you have to like go harder. If you want to take up something that's uh, not a traditional discipline, like you got to work harder. And like my first like major, major networking event was blogging for advertising week. Like that was a, like, because I was in New York, that was my privilege. So like I could build a community in a different way. 
So it was like, all right, let me go everywhere, like figure out like what I can do with this life. And that's legit how I fell in love with branded content, like hanging with Carl all the time, like feeling like, honestly, I was scared of Carl when I met him. And I remember eventually telling him down the line, but like sticking around him and the mate team allowed me to like have one of my first projects be a partnership with Google, like launch a high school, like do shit that honestly, like I would never have expected being a kid from like the end of the A train in New York. Like, you know, and, and that was just like the first part of like first, maybe two years of my career. Like I hadn't even gotten a job yet. It was just like, I'm gonna raise my hand. I want to have impact of, in this industry because again, when I really needed like help personally, like mentally, there was a community of people who, who really like treated me as a person, like allowed me to like feel like I could just trust the world. And I felt like I owed it to, to those people because like, I don't know, like, like I'd done one college already and I flunked out. I'd done a second college and I felt like I was close, but not quite there. I felt like this was my last sort of chance and there were people who bet on me like up until now. And there is, yes, a feeling of like, like I do feel a debt to the community because like, you know, like I know I could not have gone, like there are people who could look at my LinkedIn, look at any, look at any bit of press I have, my Twitter presence, whatever, and think something of me. But like, I just, I, get into a meeting with any of these people. And I'm just like, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to do this work because clearly like y'all put work into making sure like I could be here today. Yeah, we're, we're still betting on you. Bennett. So uh, Nate, I'd love to hear from your perspective and then also then have you talk a little bit about allyship and action um, and what's going on with that. Yes. Yeah, so speaking specifically to community, um, one of my first mentors when I got to college, he had this presence about him. this like energizing experience that he basically would, he basically like would like touch you and like, it'd be like electric or he'd be able to just like energize the mood and like take the, the, the aura and the, and the area and just, just sort of refract the light in a way that was different. Um, and I always thought that was very special and obviously very like him, you know, very anomalic, you know, he's, but I also felt like very connected to that type of energy, um, in the way that I speak about my mom, right? Like I love my mother and she has this way of like trolling you, but also you making sure you feel happy and like celebrated and like this weird, like funky way of making you feel, you know, like she's with you right now in her own way. And so when I, when someone taught me, you know, your network is your net worth and the, you know, the six people you hang out with is a reflection of who you are. I was like, Oh, well, damn. <laughs> um, but, you know, I didn't know anybody in Philadelphia. So I had to go from zero to 60 real quick. And I sort of just spread myself very thin and Philly in the same way, Bennett, you probably did in New York, just networking event after networking event. And it just felt very cheap and like dishonest and, um, I felt like I would, I would be wearing a suit. I would show up as this different type of human. But at the end of the day, what people I felt 
were taking away from, you know, or I thought was a value in community was adding value. Like, how could I energize this person? Like, how could I focus on this one person or this group of people and make them feel, you know, better at the end of this? And it doesn't have to be about work. It could just be like listening and be pre- just being present um, and, 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 and being a bit of grace for them because that's one thing that people just, I feel like need and lack is like grace in this industry. Like they're, they're constantly fighting for a deadline, constantly fighting for space to like have their voice be heard and trying to make their idea be the best idea and the concept be the best concept where it's like, how are you as a human? And so whenever I approach the idea of community, cause I think networking is like so passe is that you, try to find a way to like add value. So I would find communities that were very diverse and add value in the way that only I could, you know, and it'd be creatively, it would be, you know, energizing the room and the space through my story and my experience of life. And in a way that was truly just different um, in a way that was really me. Like I didn't pretend to be someone I wasn't, you know, I didn't fake it till I made it. You know, I just shared everything with you, like my whole story. And it, it is what it is. And like, you all have stories. You don't need to fake anything. You could just show up as yourself. And people today will appreciate that and will understand or try to understand and hopefully meet you or learn how to meet you um, in a way that you feel is welcoming and inclusive and that you want to give to them in that group of people. And so that's sort of my take on community um, specifically. I think it's a, I, I, I love the whole, like, your net worth is like the six people you you hang out with. Um, and I always hated that fake it to make it fine. Um, and you just put it, you put it so well why I hate that. Because we don't have to fake anything. We are who we are. And that's enough. And if we feel we have to be anything else, then we're probably not in the right space. Right. Like, yo, yes, yes, yes. Um, I want to. I want to know. I want to a little bit more about you know the work y'all doing with allyship and action. We talk a lot about community. We talk a lot about building something, entrepreneurship. um, A lot about the human, bringing the humanity back. So I'm really curious about what's happening with allyship and action. What are y'all up to? What are you looking forward? What what are you going to be doing? Um, And then, yeah, that's that's where I want to start. Yeah, I think, well, allyship in action is sort of rooted in what we've been talking about, right? It's the fact that there isn't enough space in our industry for people to show up as they are, because when they do, they're often ostracized, you know, overtly or passively. And I don't know if you all know, but ostracization is a form of torture in some parts of the world and in history, people were ostracized and like lepers and that was torture. Like you were sent away when you did something wrong. It's like solitary confinement. Exactly. It's like you are separating them from the thing you need most, which is human interaction, community, you know, all those things. Right. And that shows up in like token tokenism, right? When, you know, we as people of color are being tokenized, at our, at our workplace and then uh, through the culture and through the systems and through the infrastructure. And so for us, when we found that allyship in action, it was like, uh, duh, this is an issue. We all have the same sort of like experience not feeling welcomed, right? And so 
now all these white people are like, I want to help. But it's like, hold up, pump the brakes. What do you mean by help? How do you define help? Truly like, yeah, yeah. Like, how are you helping on Instagram and on Twitter and your LinkedIn? (laughs) Because this is important. Like, we understand you want to help, but sometimes help can be harmful. If you don't know truly what it means to help and what we truly need. And not everybody has the capacity. All of us don't all have the capacity in our current journey and we are in our journey to provide the emotional labor for people who are non-POC, people of color, non-marginalized, um, for them to, to, for us to teach them, right? For us to like help them through this. And so what Bennett, Amy and Steffi and I thought was sort of the root of this is like, how do we facilitate the education in a way that sort of spreads the emotional labor across multiple people, right? And multiple stories and multiple lived experiences and multiple perspectives, because our lived experience is only one, right? We need the disability community's perspective. We need women's perspective. We need to ensure that the, the, the conversations that are educating are topical for all the different nuanced experiences that people have, including like the experience with white women and black women in the workforce, the experience with, you know, black people with white dudes running everything, you know, what does that experience look like from a leadership perspective? And so for us, our vision is to continue to like scale the education and, and, and help be a North star on what the future of DE&I looks like, because for us, it isn't RGA doing a great job you know, pat on the back. It's not like David and Goliath translation continuing to get the bag and all the awards. It's that their entire team at RGA, at David and Goliath and translation, everybody there has identified their role and their responsibilities when it comes to allyship in their personal lives and in their professional lives. Yeah. I'll add, I'll add on to that. Um, like when, when, the founding team for allyship in action often talks about like the overall brand. We think of ourselves as a vessel. Like I feel that on a personal end because like I hadn't realized how much of a like industry insider I'd become. And I got to a point where I'm like, well, I don't need this shit. Like there's so many people who can like get this platform now. Like I don't need to be here. Like my role right now, like I'm not the future of this industry. Like it's y'all, like it's clearly y'all on this, on this call. And the issues that happened when I was really passionate about advertising are so much different now. Like I can take, I've taken, I had gotten to take so many lessons from being a maper, being involved with like all these different boards and like all, like being around all these different people who want to make change. But clearly there was a disconnect because the conversations we were having about diversity, equity, and inclusion up until last year were framed in such a way that it's like, all right, cool. You know, you handle this, you put up a cute ad, uh, and then we celebrate it. You know, we celebrate it as if like we, we've solved the problem and we give it an award as if like, you know, taking care of uh of an issue as important as racial equity or climate change like deserves a deserves a cookie like 
and I felt weird being the only person like who felt that and meeting Nate and Steffi and Amy was like such a saving grace for me because these were other people who knew it, who are already doing work and got it. And all like, with allyship and even 600 to a different extent, but also like equal intensity, like we have had to like hold space in a different way because these aren't our day jobs, <laughs> you know, like they're not our day jobs, but like, you know, it's absolutely forced me to like, think about like how I show up, not just as a black person in the room, but I'm still a man. I'm still a man in an industry where women, uh, non-binary, non-gender conforming people do not feel safe. You know, I live, I work in an industry where I probably am still making, like, I'm probably making less than my white peers, but I'm still making more money than, than any woman that, that I'm friends with. And I have to advocate in that way, you know, like as much as I, kind of knew these things in a way, like just being in the room and like trying to make change now being one of the people who like, wow, we got a platform now. Like, what do we do with this in a way that, you know, honors, you know, where DEI has been and like everybody who has been like doing the actual work, but like giving them a real platform to say, hey, corporate America, advertising industry, business leaders, like clearly whatever diatribes, monologues y'all have put in front of your captivated employees and the rest of the world have not fucking been working. Mm -hmm. Pardon my French, but like it clearly has not been working. Like, aren't you tired of it? Like, aren't you tired of thinking that like everything can be solved with a PR nightmare? Like where is the reckoning that, that like you need to have as an executive, like executives are losing their jobs. Like NASDAQ finally got clearance to have, you know, black people, minorities, women, like embedded into their boards. This isn't just like a tokenization effort anymore. Like, and maybe it was never meant to be, but that's how it's been. Why should the only person of color in an executive suite be a DEI leader? Like, that makes no sense when, like, us as a collective of beautiful people from different backgrounds are as important to the success of a business as the people who place money bets on you on the stock market. Like, and in order to do that, like the conversations that we have to have can't just be some like cold hands, kumbaya shit. Anytime there is some cultural uh, disaster, there is an issue like this very real pandemic, like, and to have this opportunity to say, all right, let's bring these people to the stage. Let's not make this some diversity summit like let's think about this as this is like we are fighting a war against bias that is what is bringing us here today like if we consider ourselves allies we are here fighting against bias how do we do that like through programming through 
all this stuff that that we are doing as this vessel, as just four people who have day jobs and have had to lean on tons of volunteers, tons of like really wise people over the last year to like, not just like speak on these issues, but like have these people like invested enough in these issues over a span of time that we can then to Nate's point about designing systems, right? Like what does progress look like, (laughs) you know? And when you can have these people in the room, you know, like how invested are they like over time? Because that's, that's where change is going to happen. You know, last year was, I I love saying like last year was a point zero for the industry. Now we're at point one. (laughs) How far have we gone? But like, where the fuck do we need to go (laughs) afterwards? And, you know, it's absolutely not going to take a bunch of, you know, old white guys, you know, figuring that out. Like it's, it's all y'all clearly it's us in this room, but like we're here, we have this opportunity. Now we've had people looking out for us to this point and it's just keeping that ball rolling. Like it's easy to get off the gas and like, we're not here for that. (laughs) Like it's so past the time to take your foot off the gas with this stuff. 100%, 100%. And I know that there are, I mean, the folks make other programs, no one wants to take their foot off the gas. So where are we going? Where can we find more about allyship in action, right? Where do we go to find more? Where do we get involved here? All the stuff that y'all are doing. And also there have been requests for Ben at your Tumblr. So I'd also like to know where can find each one yeah. of you on the socials <laughs> if they if they dare. My Tumblr has since been deactivated, but <laughs> um, follow me on Twitter at Bennett D. Bennett. Um, also, yeah, I'm, you know, I also have this organization called Six Hundred Rising. Follow, you know, follow that. Um, there are updates coming from that org too. Obviously, uh, allyship in action. I think our Twitter is allyship action. And our Instagram is allyship and action. Yep. And Nate, I know you throw it, you threw it in the in the chat, but also say it for the listeners who will listen, be listening after this. Where can we find it? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, look up the Nichols on Twitter or on Instagram. It's usually where I like to play, and um, LinkedIn. But that's where you can find us. Allyshipandaction.com is where you can actually watch all of the content from our previous three summits. Okay. Um, so there are tons of workshops or the, 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 the main stage panels are there. Um, we're in the midst of planning our state of equity 2.0 coming up in the fall here. So stay tuned for that. All right. And one thing that we do for the podcast is give each of our guests 60 seconds. I'm going to time each one of you because I know y'all got a lot to say. Looking at you, Bennett. Yeah, uh, my bad, my bad. Because <laughs> <laughs> I want I want to give at least like 15 minutes for the folks who are with us today to ask questions that they have. So 60 seconds to leave everything on the table, make sure nothing is left unsaid. Uh Bennett, go first. 60 seconds. 60 um, seconds. I'm timing you. Yeah, yeah, good, good, good. I need that. Um, I will really keep it simple. Like there's bigger shit out there. Like, honestly, you guys are coming into this industry in such a really weird space. And I give you props. I give the last mate class props. And I think 
you're entering a place at a weird time, but like, don't ever, 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 ever feel like you have to limit yourself for anybody, but also like take care of yourself at every step of this process. That is my biggest lesson as an individual, as now a business leader and somebody like in the fight for the bigger issues, like this shit like takes work, but like rest is as much an act of resistance and of change that we need as putting in the paces every day. Bennett, thank you for that. And under 60 seconds. Thank you just you. gotta time me every time. That's it. That was that was dope. Thank you for that. Nate, what do you got to say to the people? I actually have nothing to say. I want to add on to what Bennett said and just use the 60 seconds to take a beat and just allow everyone to just breathe because I feel like sometimes we just forget about our breath. And um, yeah, that rest is super important. So I feel like we should all just take a minute to just breathe. Feel free to keep your camera off or on, but I'm going to turn my camera off and I'm going to breathe. Carl, tell me when it's done. Got you. Nate, thank you for that moment. You're welcome. Hope everybody took advantage of that and just breathe. That was so needed, so needed. Um, especially because we're about to go into Q and A. <laughs> so, uh, before we do that, I want to just thank everybody again for coming to the live session. For to Nate to Bennett sharing your journeys, sharing your stories, talking about your entrepreneurship endeavors, allyship in action, to the whole 4A's Foundation crew, everyone who's helped put Face the Talent Week, Make Con, the whole summer together. We know how hard you work and we appreciate you shepherding in the future of not just this industry, but so many industries uh, that need these smart talented, passionate folks out there to help shift and change. So thank you all very much. I want to now invite, uh, and we'll need team in the background to help. If anybody has a question for Nate or Bennett, you'd like to type it in the chat. If you wanna be unmuted, I don't know how we're gonna do this. Uh, I think, can you raise your hand? Can you do that in this? Yeah, you can raise your hand. Let me go, let me switch my view, gallery. Who has a question, comment? Just want to say, hey. Campbell, Chase Campbell. Chase, come off mute. Can y'all hear me? Yeah. Yes, you can. Nate and Bennett, man, y'all really 
drop the gems. So thank you. And I think it was you, Bennett, that was really kind of hitting home for me at one point. And you were saying how there's just, there is, you know, bigger shit out there. And I feel like for me on my journey into Adland, I kind of realized like, there's a lot more that I want to talk about, but it's like, it's always the client has our best interests. I got to live and die by the client. And it's like, that just doesn't sit right with me, you know? And it's like, when I want to make so such a big change in the industry and stuff like that, sometimes people make it seem like that's too far-fetched of an idea or dream. You know what I'm saying? That's really discouraging. And people just hit me with like, you know, that's just how it is, or that's just reality. And it's just like, it's just discouraging. So I wanted to get some advice or some, uh, some feedback. Uh, yeah. Chase, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's dope to hear from you. Congratulations on this part of the journey, right? I'm sure it's been a crazy, like 20 something weeks being a, being a maid fellow. Um, one thing I will say is like, you're not alone in this, like literally like probably the one thing that ties all y'all's papers, all of us is like people representing marginalized communities is like, we represent, we always represented something more than ourselves. That's why we show up here. And I think there are two bits of advice that I can give. Like, and I say this to like anybody who's who's in college, like this is your first family in the industry. Like when you have those ideas that you feel are bigger than you, like you're going to want to take them on. And I've taken on quite a few head on um, to solo and it's not fun. Like, to be in these rooms, like I can be certain that a lot of you may still enter agencies as one of a handful of black people or Asian people or Latinx people. And you're coming into these sessions and idea like brainstorm sessions and workshops and pitch rooms, like wanting to say, you know what, like this brand could take it further. Like our brand definitely says they want to be more purpose-driven. They want to care about black people. Well, here's an idea. Like, don't be afraid to, like, have those ideas and and speak up on them. If you're facing enough resistance, though, like, don't think that it's because your idea is bad. It's because they don't see the vision. So, like, I always like to believe that ideas, especially, like, good ones, are renewable resource. If they're not going to work in the pitch room or on a client, like, that doesn't necessarily mean you should, like, throw it out, like... Find the people who align with you most enough that they can help you figure out the way for for any of those game-changing ideas you have to, you know, to see the light of day. Can I add on to that? Yeah, of course, mate. Body of work. Don't wait for a big client to build your body of work. There are so many small, medium-sized companies or startups trying to figure their shit out that they have no clue. You will be a godsend to them with your ideas and with your creativity. And that that can build your body of work. And you can prove concept that your ideas are validating and they create ROI with a small business owner or a startup. You shouldn't wait for anyone to build your body of work because then once you have your body of work, and I'll never forget the CEO of a startup telling me this, it's like shape your body of work to the types of clients you want to come to you. Shape who you are. And my mentor, my first mentor would say, 
Nate, who you should, who you are should be so loud you don't have to say a thing. So people aren't who want corporate basic Betty, like run of the mill vanilla content. Do not come to Palette Group. If you want basic DE and I, you do not go to Allyship in Action. We have a very specific tone. We have a very specific vision. We have a very specific system and community in place that have shared values and ideas and concepts and a lived experience that people want. And that's our craft. I love that who you are should be so loud. You don't have to say a thing. That's great. Uh, we have two questions uh, from the chat. Um, and then I'm going to time you on all the answers from now on. So, um, first one actually came a little bit earlier in the conversation. I still obviously is relevant right now from Mars was how do you balance humility and gratitude with knowing you belong and that you're talented and advocating for yourself? Easy. Easy. Don't make it about you when you're, when you're trying to sell you don't make it about you sell the ideas sell the concepts sell the value for the client sell the value for the person in front of you get them excited about the result or the impact of the idea energize them about the vision that you have it's not about you you're just articulate you're the vessel you're just sharing this very exciting and energizing thing you know and then it's not about you it's just about this idea that they're just like whoa they're like you know waiting through if you create a universe for them to play in like to contextualize um whatever it is the mark you're trying to leave in this meeting whether it's a sale whether it's a picture you're you're considering whether it's a new idea you want to bring to your manager like contextualize it enough for them to feel why this is powerful without feeling like it's about you 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 me 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 it's about the idea Anything to add? Yeah, I like I think about elementary school and middle school and my parents putting me in like gifted programs. I hated being the smartest person in the room. Mm-hmm. Like, like I just did. Like I wanted to make friends more than like I wanted to be like the best person because like I knew I wasn't, but I felt like sometimes you're forced to be that. And I think it just always shaped my view of like, where I stand with humility. It's just like, I show up as me, like take it or leave it. But also like, I'm not here to like force my ego down your throat. Like I'm here to solve a problem. Like whether I fuck with you or not, like on a personal level, like it doesn't matter. Like my favorite experiences were when I felt like I was part of a team where like, I wasn't just the leader you know, in one aspect or, or everything. It was like, all right, like we are taking this time to like do this thing and we're going to make it work. And that's it. Like, and like my biggest lesson over this last year, like having to lead in such different ways was like leadership requires trust and trust requires sacrifice of ego. Like that's just the name of the game. Like we are in a service industry like the moment the moment you are able to live with that and recognize that is just like it just changes it and it makes it less personal and it makes it easier to find the people who are about the same sort of life that you are 
That's dope. Uh, we got a few more questions in the chat. Nate, thanks for answering it. Ben, I'm going to ask you to answer that last question from Ren in the chat. Uh, while Nate talks about or answers the questions from D about what was the most challenging part about navigating your journey? Um, for me, it was just not understanding the advertising industry because I had a startup agency. Like I didn't know what a capabilities deck was. I didn't, I didn't have the right body of work to have like a killer capabilities deck. Now you, I could book a meeting with any brand in the globe, pitch my capabilities meeting with my life partner in 15 minutes and feel confident and energize the person across from me. And it's like little things like that or like understanding what a capabilities deck is, understanding the types of roles that are important for designing, you know, um, a, a specific type of strategy team or specific type of creative team because I didn't have the traditional experience. I had no concept of the infrastructure of the hierarchy or the system. So I sort of had to like design my systems on my own, which in some regards is better. So the hierarchy, the hierarchy wound up being more flat at our agency um, in, from a production perspective. But also it's like, how do you position yourself in front of these global brands and these VPs in a way that, you know, feels energizing and feels that like they can trust us with, you know, couple six figures in, in budget. So Bennett, what about you? Hardest part? Bennett. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like everything has felt like a challenge in a different way. And I guess that's life. Um, but this has been a special challenge pandemic, but also like working in this space or like it, like this is volunteer work, you know, um, it's it's challenging in its own way because it's like all right straight black guy you know like cool i know what's against me but like i also know like people are looking at me in a different way like i know i gotta maneuver a different way and you know again like i care about these issues and i want to like make sure that this chapter of my career this chapter where i get to be the leader that i hoped i could be um is one where i can have the most impact but also again like take care of myself like it's so easy and it has been easy for me to like just drown myself in like these bigger issues without coming to grips with the fact that like i have a life too and i want to make sure like i can have the best life that that i want without feeling like i have to give it all away for you know to solve a problem like i just wouldn't be effective if if i didn't make that time for myself yeah i hear you we have um two minutes left and two questions we're trying to get it both done in that time uh and i'll let each one of you pick which one you know, maybe you answer one of them and then add it a little bit but from tracy how would you recommend that we go about advocating for ourselves while we're still working remote and while we transition back into working in person? Um, language is, I think is important. The, the way you framed your question is very, very beautiful. Like you, you have no choice to honor that statement. If you email a manager saying, look in, in, in me being new and transitioning from remote to work, I can't help but try to but advocate for myself in this 
specific scenario for why reason. And hopefully they meet you where they are. And as long as there's a, an email trail for that, like, and they're being respectful and dignified in communication, I think you've nailed it and done everything you can. But language and being graceful and being respectful and communicating that you need space or this is wrong or that is right, um, you know, I think is super important. But the way you framed, you know, that question is like, Tracy is perfect. Like, I think if you communicate in that way where people have to honor you and your lived experience through language works every time in my in my experience i'm gonna defer to, to nate's answer because i'm like i grapple with this question you know i've got parents who are trying to transition back to working in person and it's it's not easy and everybody has their their different reasons for you know wanting to or wanting or needing to stay home uh, and this has actually opened the door to a lot of conversations that, you know, that we just need to address. There is no one size fits all answer, but uh, yeah, Nate probably has the best way of, of going about it. I think it was great. I think it was a beautiful answer, especially around the language. Last question um, from Taylor. How do you go about using the opportunities that you have in front of you? and not lose sight of what you want. A big fear of theirs is getting comfortable and forgetting why they decided to do something in the first place. There's an easy answer to that and there's a hard answer to that. The easy answer to that is like, work yourself to the ground and have your body react kindly to you for that. Like, don't do that. Like, if there is one cautionary tale that I can give to this made class is like, do not do that because that's what I did. Um, it's easy to get comfortable. This industry can be glamorous. You can achieve like amazing highs depending on like where you work, who you get to work with, all these things. But like you kind of have to gut check with yourself sometimes. Like, is this what I want for me? Speaking of mentors, one of my mentors always asked me the question, what would Bennett do? What does Bennett want to do? And at first I wouldn't listen to him because I'm like, I, you know what? Like, it's a good question to think about. But like anytime I have been extremely stressed, I have to go back to that. Like I'm my own North Star. Like I am my own proof of concept. Like, you know, if I want to have a successful life, like what does that look like to me? And if I feel lost, like, how can I ground myself? You know, Nate meditates all the time. Like I go on artist dates and I'm such a big music lover that like, that's kind of my meditation. Like I just sit there, just like contemplate like where I can go. And if the stuff isn't aligned, like hopefully you can in your current situation, shift it to align for you. Otherwise, like, you got to just find, find your way, even if they're not part of that journey, jobs, people, whatever locations. Sounds like that was a really smart mentor. You should probably call them and uh, thank them for that advice. Listen, it's been a while. I miss my mentors. I gotta, I gotta get back to them. I get back. Look, part of that mentor mentee relationship is the mentee reaching out as well, driving when they need it. All right. Um, I got the word we can do. We can go a little bit over time for those who might have to jump. Thank you. Congratulations on completing MAPE. 
it's going to be, it's been a wild ride. It's going to be an even wilder ride leaning into this community. Those who can stay on, we have a few more questions. I see one in the chat. I see a hand up. Let's go to the hand first. Is it Kai? Yes, it's Kai. Hi, Kai. Hey, guys. Thanks for coming to talk to us. Um, I had a question, and this is kind of like a question that keeps me up at night sometimes. Um, and as like marketers and you know creatives in this space who are constantly using data, like in an effort to better the consumer experience, sometimes I think about the risk of reducing the human experience in doing that. And I'll give an example. I was recently like watching a TED talk and they were talking about Amazon and how they sped up their website time by like one tenth seconds. And that resulted in like $1.7 billion increase in revenue. And that's definitely, you know, increasing the consumer experience because nobody wants to sit around and wait on, you know, a website, you know, for lag time. But someone can also, you know, say that that is changing people's value on like speed and efficiency. And, you know, you can say that now people might have a harder time accepting that things in life are going to take time. Um, and so that can make it harder being a human being who inevitably is going to have to wait for things. So how do we, I don't know, is this, I guess my question is, is this something you ever think about? Um, and is it something that, um, how do we come to grips with that tension? And can we better both experiences at the same time? All the time, I think about it. I think Bennett and I talk about it. It's like, we don't talk about it directly, but it's like, indirectly, we talk about it. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I love this question. I it, It's a very future-forward question, and, and those are, like, I geek out about it. Um, it's also great to hear about it because, like, we run on it, like, based on like how we grew up, we run on a different sense of time than white people do. And like, there's studies about it. And like, that's where I'll leave it at. Um, it, it's, oh man, I do think about this. And the best I can say is keep research. I don't know if you're a strategy uh, person, but like- I am, I'm a strategy. Like deep dive, deep dive on this because Eurocentric cultures versus Afrocentric or like non-white Eastern European cultures, they think about time in a different way. And that becomes an insight for, that could be insights for like user experience when you're waiting for tickets, you know, for a concert, like festival seasons back, right? Like it's taking those things that like really gnaw at you and saying, you know what, like, I may not be able to like have a good answer for that, but like, let me marinate on it. Like think about like where these, where this like tension is coming from and then like figure out ways to, to apply it to the stuff that you're doing. But I really, really love that. I think it's stuff to think about on like, yeah, the hiring and having people in the office level, but also like in the, in the work that we're creating. Cause like time Time pre-pandemic is so much different than time post-pandemic for people. People say that again. Um, Nate, do you want to add anything? We got one more question and four minutes. I'm gonna defer to Bennett because right. that just makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> um, last question from Kier. I hope I said that right. Uh, what are both of your takes on work to live versus live to work dynamic? My parents work to live and uh, 
I feel like that's just a generational thing. Um, and it was like really awkward being growing up around people who found it easier to like live to work. You know, it was just like they love their stuff. I felt oh, like- I was the con director for the community outreach agency, which was like focusing on nonprofit organizations. Oops. Oops. Sorry, Carmel. Didn't mean to interrupt your interview. Um, but yeah, I think, damn, that threw off my train of thought. Uh, but yeah, I think when you think about it as like a means to an end, it's one thing. And then hopefully you get to a point, and this is what we personally want for everybody, you know, as individuals, but also with the platforms that we have, like we want everybody to get to a point where they are feeling more of a live to work situation. Cause it's just like, you know, so many of us are just like burdened by the fact that like, we're either dealing with debt. We are like trying to fit into an industry that still has little regard for things like mental health and just us representing ourselves in the workplace. Like, Nate and I do talk about this all the time because I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to have, like, we should not, our jobs, our career trajectory should not have to be defined by trauma. And like, that puts us in so much of, okay, I'll cut myself off because I see that hand up, Carl. But like, <laughs> don't let your careers be defined by traumas. That um, That is that is my take. Yes. And I, I hate to have to cut it off, but you know, how, you've been to face of talent. You know what it's like. They got these neighbors running from thing to thing, ready to go. So I thank everybody. Thank Bennett. Thank you, Nate, for thank being you. here, dropping these wisdom. Thanks for everyone for coming on. Thank you for the Nate team for letting us go on a little bit and just be here for the community. Thank you all. Cannot wait to see what y'all do in the industries that you go into. Really looking forward to it. Nate and Bennett, we'll see what y'all, y'all got to change change it all. So thank you all and see you next time. Thanks, girl.